This is Barbie Jo, and you are listening to Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. This is a show for busy moms and families where we talk about household order and function. We'll discuss tricks of the trade and systems to improve family life and managing a household. Barbie Jo here, and welcome to another episode of Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. Today, we have guest Alana Robinson, who is the CEO of Uncommon Sense Parenting, as well as a registered early childhood educator, developmental specialist, and parenting coach. Her mission is to empower parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners as the experts on their own children and to create a more inclusive world where every person is supported, valued, and given the tools they need to thrive. Alana supports parents and toddlers, preschoolers, kindergartners throughout her Parent Ability Program, where she focuses on helping parents understand why their children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. Welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Thank you so much for having me. I actually started my career just as a run-of-the-mill babysitter. <laughs> it's not a very um, auspicious start, but what happened with me was I was away at university and I was very lonely and I ended up babysitting for a family with two young kids with autism and it just completely changed my life and within a couple of months of starting to work for them, I changed my major, I changed everything, my entire life plan. And I went into early intervention. And so I started doing early intervention with them. And then I got a job doing early intervention in the evenings while I was out of class. And slowly that evolved into parent coaching where I was then working for an agency and I was supporting parents and understanding what the early intervention that their children were getting with the therapists was and how to incorporate that into their everyday life. And what I loved about that was that I saw a direct relation between parents understanding what was going on with their kid and their kid making progress. It was just incredible to me. The more that parents were empowered with the information that they needed about how their child was developing and what was going on with their development, the bigger gains their child made in a shorter period of time. And I absolutely loved it. And I kept doing that until I had my oldest son, Logan, who's now seven. And then I'm in Canada. I went off on my year-long maternity leave and we had some funding changes happen with the government. And part of that funding reduction was that parent coaching got stripped away as part of supplement three services. And the parents that could afford it were asking me to continue on with them. And so that's how my parent coaching practice was born. I started working with families that I, whose children I had actually worked with in real life and who I knew in real life. And then things kind of snowballed from there. And now I've served over 2,000 families worldwide. I have clients in every single English-speaking country in the world. And I get to help parents understand their kids every single day. And it is the absolute best thing. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. That's amazing. So tell us, what are some things you do to detect or to to have that early intervention? When should a parent seek you out? 
So a lot of parents, I think they think that there has to be something like diagnosably wrong with their child in order to seek out support. And what I say to parents is if your child's behavior is disrupting your family life, if you are not doing things that you want to do because you are afraid of your child's behavior in that situation, or you are worried about how you'll be able to handle your child in that situation, that is when you need support. Your child doesn't need to have a diagnosed disability. Your child doesn't have to be, you know, completely strung out or having really, really big difficulties. If you are not living your life the way that you want to live it because of your child's behavior, that is the time to seek out support. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense that we have permission not to need a diagnosis to find that help. That's great. Oh, I was just going to say, I think a lot of parents think that their child is the only one. Every parent thinks that their kid broke the mold. And I have worked with children from completely typical all the way up to one of my clients is one of three children in North America with their specific diagnosis. So I have seen everything in between and there is nothing that you can tell me that your child does that is going to shock me anymore. (laughs) Everything is expected as far as I'm concerned. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Well, let's dive into like your tactics and things. Talk to me a little bit about outdoor play and why or how this is important for young children. Absolutely. So the great thing about the outside is that it is a perfectly balanced sensory environment. There isn't too much or too little of anything in nature. It is made for us. And part of the problem is that children get far more input than they can handle. And Children who are getting too much input are outputting so much energy trying to manage that input that they don't have anything left over to use their executive functioning skills. Your executive functioning skills, if you think about your brain like a toolbox, your executive functioning skills are the tools that are in the toolbox that we use to do literally everything. And I often use the analogy of a saw. If I give you a dull saw and I tell you to go cut down a tree, You know what to do, you know how to do it, you're even willing to do it, but you're not going to be able to do it because no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to make a dent in that tree without exhausting yourself and then you're going to give up. Versus if I help you sharpen that saw and I tell you to go cut down the tree, well, then you're going to be able to fell that tree with relatively little effort. You're going to have lots of energy left over to go and do other things. If children have weak skills and they're having too much sensory overload, then there's no hope in hell of them being able to follow your directions, to meet your expectations, to do the things that you want them to do. So those are two problems that the outdoors really helps because it's a perfectly balanced sensory environment. Children are at their best in terms of being able to process information, in terms of being able to learn. The outdoors often gives us lots of opportunities too for moving our bodies and doing things in ways that we wouldn't be able to do inside. You can run, you can jump, you can swing around. And for the most part, there's nothing that you can break or destroy or get in trouble with in a safe outdoor environment. So it gives children a lot of opportunities to be autonomous, to practice doing things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to practice doing indoors, to fail, mess up, recover, and then try it again. And 
the average recommendation for children playing outside right now is eight hours a day. And most children are not getting anywhere near that. That's so true. You know, I just saw a campaign done by Nature Valley and they were talking to three generations. They had the grandma, the mother, and then the daughter or the son. And they were asking grandma, you know, what what did you do as a child? And it was, you know, we built tree houses, we played outside, we went swimming in the creek, all the things. And then the mom and her experience was, you know, something similar. And then the child was, you know, what's your favorite thing to do? Play video games. Yeah. I love getting on my video games. I just feel so relaxed while I'm on my video games. And it was so eye-opening, yeah. you know, how much time our kids are in front of screens. Mm-hmm. They really, truly are. And going back to your outdoors, um, the need to be outdoors. Personally, for me, I was just last week feeling very anxious. I was dropping my oldest off at college and feeling very sad and anxious and feeling all these things. And you know what? I took my shoes off and just walked around the backyard in the grass. Yes. And it instantly just calmed me yeah. and grounded me. And it, it's so true. There's something very soothing about being outdoors. So mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a deficit that most children have right now, especially in North America. And I think a lot of parents conflate quiet and calm. And because the screens make our children quiet, they expect it to also make them calm. And those are two very different things. You can be quiet and not calm. Calm refers to the state of your nervous system. And if your nervous system is all worked up, which TV does because it's very stimulating, then it doesn't matter how still or how quiet your mouth is, your nervous system is on overdrive. And that's why for a lot of parents, they're like, you know, I turn off the TV and they completely melt down and they think that their child is trying to manipulate them into turning the TV back on. But it's not that the child is trying to get the TV to come back on. Well, they are, but that's because the TV is maintaining that stimulation that makes them feel good. Right. It's that they don't know how to calm their nervous system down. And it's that applies to so many different areas of behavior where we think that our children are trying to manipulate us or they're trying to get something. And we're not looking at why they're trying to get that. And nine times out of 10, especially with young kids, it's that they just don't know how to maintain their calm, their composure without that thing. So they freak out because it's scary. It doesn't feel good. And so giving children the tools to learn how to calm themselves down is really like, my passion. I want to make sure that kids know how to ask to do the things that calm them down, how to access the thing that calm them down, and to have access to those things on a regular basis throughout the day. That's amazing. I love that. And that's so powerful. Okay. So going from there, how can we set our kids up for long-term success? The main thing is, as I said, teaching your child how to calm down. (laughs) And that sounds so simple, right? But if you think about it, like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been really worked up and kind of at your wits end, somebody comes to you and says, calm down. Right. You can tell somebody to calm down (laughs) until you're blue in the face. It actually just pisses you off more. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. (laughs) Because if you knew how to calm down, you would calm down. Being hyper aroused doesn't feel good. 
And most adults don't know how to calm themselves down. So really the, the most important skill I think parents can impart to their children are helping them figure out what makes them feel calm and relaxed, how to access those things, how to get like mini versions of those things, because, you know, we all know that a hot bath at the end of the day is going to make us chill out, but we don't necessarily have the ability to go and take a hot bath at noon every day when we're feeling worried after, you know, being on a Zoom call. So making sure that your children have like smaller, more discreet ways that they can use to help themselves calm down and give them permission to ask for those things. Um, when, when my youngest started kindergarten, his preschool teacher called me and she was like, so we've been doing math and your son refuses to do math. And I was like, well, that's, it doesn't really make sense because that's one of his stronger subjects. And she was like, he just keeps saying that he doesn't have the energy to do it and asking to go for a run. And running is something that really helps my son regulate. And I was like, oh, so let him go for a run and he'll come back and do the math. And she was like, well, I can't just let a five-year-old go for a run. Like right. I have to supervise him. And I was like, sure you can. What do I need to sign to say that you need, you can let him go for a run. So they sent home the permission slip. I signed it, sent it back. And you could tell that she really didn't believe me. <laughs> and she was very skeptical. And so, and I was like, Hey, if it doesn't work, you don't have to keep doing it. But I know my kid and he knows how to regulate and he knows how to ask to regulate. um, And that's what he's doing. So next day she calls me at 4 PM and she was like, Oh my goodness. Did that ever work? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, he asked to go for a run. I said, okay, you can do two laps around the school and then you have to come back and do your math. And he went and he did his two laps. He came back, banged out his math and said, Kate, what's next? Wow. And she was like, what? Why? And I was like, because if he's not feeling calm, if he knows he doesn't have the energy to meet your expectation, he's not even going to try because he knows he's going to fail. He knows wow. he's dysregulated. He knows he doesn't have the ability to do what you want him to do. And that's why he was asking to go for a run because he knew that that would help him rebalance, calm himself down enough to be able to focus and do what you need him to do competently. That's not something adults are used to. And like that situation, she was like, well, I can't let you do that. Um, and there's so many arbitrary limits that we put around children that way where we're like, well, I can't let you do that. And why? Why can't you let them do that? How can how could we facilitate that? Yeah. And so since then, we've kind of riffed off of his need to go for like marathon runs. He's seven now. So he will literally go for a 5K twice a day. Um, if he has the ability to, but obviously he can't just take off in the middle of a school day and go run a 5k multiple times a day. So we've had to come up with different ways to get him similar input where he can say, Hey, can I go like just run in place at the back of the class? Or I need some deep pressure in my feet because that is really what running gives him. So we've sent a TheraBand to school with him now. So he can sit there and listen to the teacher and pull the TheraBand against his feet while he's listening to the lesson. So that self-advocacy, that knowledge of what allows you to be the best version of yourself is really like this pivotal skill that makes everything so much easier. With the holidays just around the corner, I've put together something special for you, a nine-page holiday planner. This planner is for you if this time of year overwhelms you 
or you want to be a good host and create good memories with your family, or you need help with time management and planning, or how about needing tips on how to gift wrap and sort without being detective, or be prepared so you can avoid overcrowded and picked over stores. If any of these resonate with you, then this planner is for you. Simply visit my Instagram page at barbiejo.hatch and find the link inside my bio. Okay, so now how do you get your child to listen to you? Oh, listening is one of those hot button topics, isn't it? People (laughs) think that listening is a singular skill and it's not. Remember how I was talking about like your brain is the toolbox and then you've got all these different tools in it called executive functioning skills. Executive functioning skills, there's usually, you are very rarely using just one of them. You're using three or four of them in combination. And listening actually requires all eight executive functioning skills. And if one of those skills is weak, then the whole chain breaks down. Hmm. So like I usually use the example of putting on your shoes. Simple enough task that we ask our children to do daily. And yet a lot of kids will refuse to do it. And it's probably the top thing parents come to me with like, I'm just trying to get out the door. And this kid is sitting on the floor screaming at me that they can't put their shoes on when I've seen them do it 42,000 times before. Yeah. Well, as we grow, these skills start to develop. They start developing around two. They don't finish developing until we're 28. So most of us didn't have fully developed executive functioning skills when we had our children. And (laughs) great. So if one of those skills is weak, then the whole chain breaks down. And so, you know, to put on your shoes, you have to think, okay, I need to put my shoes on. So you need to have the flexible thinking skills to stop doing what you were doing and attend to this new task. Then you have to use your working memory to go, where did I put my shoes and remember where they are. Then you have to use your planning and prioritizing skills to go, okay, first I need to find my shoes. Then I need to undo them so that I can get my foot in, then I need to put my foot in, then I need to do them up, then I need to tie the bow. So you need to plan out those skills because if you do those activities in the wrong order, then they don't result in a shoe on your foot. Then you have to make sure that you use your organization skills to have all the things. You have to find your shoes, you have to make sure that they're open, you know, all of that stuff is in place. Then you have to go and you actually have to do it. So you have to use your task initiation skills to get up off your butt, go find the shoes and start doing it. And finally, you have to use your self-monitoring skills to keep track of where you are in that process so that you don't just sit there taking your foot in and out of the shoe all day. You move on to the next task. If any one of those things is weak or if you don't have enough energy to use any one of those skills, you're screwed and Mm. kids just won't do it. So Generally, when kids aren't listening or aren't following directions, it's because we're missing a weak skill and they either need to help calm down. So like with my son, he had all the executive functioning skills to do those math tasks, but he didn't have the energy to use those skills. So he, we needed to solve the problem of how do we get you enough energy so that you can then access those skills and use them. You can go and get your sharp saw and take it to the tree. Whereas... There's then the flip side, if the child has enough energy and they're willing and they're able and they look like they're good to go, which one of those skills has developed to the point that you need to use it at a higher level, but you're not able to actually use it at that higher level, right? We need to sharpen that saw a little bit more. So 
that's a very roundabout way <laughs> of saying that there's no one strategy to get your child to listen. But if your child isn't calm and your child doesn't have strong executive functioning skills, then your chances of your child not listening are slim to none. So the easiest way to kind of solve that problem is to, one, make sure your child is calm. Make sure that if your child is refusing to do something that you take five to 10 minutes to help them calm their body down. And then two, make the steps very concrete and predictable for them. So in terms of like putting your shoes on, I have a strip at the front of my house where we keep our shoes that has pictures of my sons doing each and every step to putting their shoes on. So it shows them where their shoes are, which is typically on a mat by the front door. It shows them the next step, which is putting the shoe down and opening it up. It shows the next step of putting their foot in, then the next one doing the shoe up, and then the last one tying their bow. So that if they don't have the energy to use all of those skills, they have something to reference that is concrete, that is there right where they need it. They don't have to go looking for it or hunting it down. It's just right there. So that it's like a cheat sheet. What do I need to do in this moment? So that they have something that they can use to bridge that lack of energy or to bridge that skill that is weak. Okay. So how do you do that with other daily tasks? Because I'm sure you don't have a, a broken down log of every task your child will need to do. So what? let's say you're in a store yeah. and your child has you know, a meltdown. How would you address that? Well, that's not a listening problem. That's a regulation problem, right? Mm. So you have to make sure you're solving the right problem. Because a lot of people, a lot of parents will clump everything together under listening and it's got nothing to do with listening or hearing at all. Uh. It's got to do with being calm enough to do the thing that you're asking them to do. So if your child is melting down in a store, one, there was probably warning signs beforehand and you ignored them. <laughs> and so you, you missed that regulation opportunity, right? Once you're in it, yeah. then the best thing to do is get your child out of that environment as quickly as possible. So again, take them outside, take them back to the car and give them some time to calm down. Now, if your child doesn't have a calming activity that you have identified, like as I said, for my oldest son, it's running. My youngest son is kind of a weirdo. He likes to be hung upside down by his feet. He likes that blood rush feeling um, to his head. So we go outside and we try and facilitate that for them because that is the fastest way to get them to calm down. Um, if you haven't identified that for your child, then getting them, just giving them the space to calm down or doing something that they generally find soothing. A lot of kids like to be sung to. Some kids just need a really deep hug. Um, some just need some space to have their extinction burst and freak out. And that's totally fine. Make them safe, make sure that they feel safe and let them do their thing. Then you can go back to whatever it was you were doing. So in that instance, and I have, I've abandoned many a carton in a grocery store aisle and, or I've just sat down with my child and made sure that nobody comes and interferes with them so that they are in a safe space within the store that they can calm their body down. Once they're calm, then we can start talking to them. Then we can start saying, okay, what's wrong? What happened? How yeah. are you feeling? And really empathize with them, right? Behavior is communication. If a child is melting down, it's probably because they perceive whatever it was they were asking for or whatever it was that was going on as being a threat. So 
okay, so you're, you know, I, you really want gummy bears. I understand you really think that gummy bears would help you feel better. We're not going to get gummy bears today, but we're going to get gummy bears next week, or we're going to have, we already have some gummy bears at home and you can have one when we get home. So give them an expectation of whatever it is that they're asking for will be achievable for them and let them feel upset. It's okay for kids to not be happy all the time. I think a lot of parents, they create these behavioral situations because they're trying to make their child happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be mad. Validating those feelings goes a long way because it's amazing. I've had kids who are like spitting angry. They're running at me. They're trying to headbutt me. They're trying to hurt me actively. And I'm like, you're really mad. And they just stop and look at me because they've never had an adult actually identify that emotion for them and validate that it's okay for them to be feeling that way. There's a big difference between feeling an emotion and how you express it. And so if you can get your child to um, make that connection between, you know, you're really mad. I'm not going to let you hurt me. But if you need to run at something, then you can run at the shopping cart. We can go outside and you can push against the wall. Like, how can I facilitate what your body needs to do to calm down right now? So there's a lot of working pieces. I wish there was a simple answer. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not just about um, a single strategy or a single way of doing things. It's really about understanding where the behavior is coming from. And then that informs how you fix it. Okay. That gives me so much clarity as a parent because I'm seeing even these behaviors that you would expect with a toddler, I'm seeing them with my teenagers. And I'm like, okay, they need this just as much as my toddlers. Yeah, it just changes as we get older how it's expressed. And like in a toddler, it usually shows up as, as you said, not listening or being defiant or having meltdowns. Once you get into school-aged kids, it starts showing up in disorganization at school, not getting their work done, not being able to remember to do their chores or not being like just flaking on their chores because they don't have the energy to do them. And then you get into teenagehood and it looks like disorganization, not really being able to connect with their peers, only focusing on their peers and letting all their responsibilities go. So these Challenges just change how they're expressed as they get older. And to quote Frederick Douglass, it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. Once you get to the teenage stage, you're kind of having to backtrack and reteach these skills from the get-go. Whereas when we're able to deal with them when they're two, three, four, then they have a solid foundation that they can build off of. Wow. That is so powerful. That is awesome. Okay, you have given us so much valuable information today. Wow. Tell us how we can find you. Um, so my website is alanarobinson.com, two L's, one N. And um, you can also find me on Instagram at Parenting Posse. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. And I will be sure to include your website in show notes so people can be sure to find you because awesome. you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Don't Get Lost in the Laundry. Don't forget to check out my website at barbiejoe.com. And if you liked this episode, you've got to subscribe. I'd love to have you join me. Bye for now. 